Welcome to Piecing It All Together. My name is Bo Sanders, and today you're going to listen to Randy on the Sit Up Podcast with Leroy Barber. This will be episode 43, and I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation with Andrew Morgan. We want to thank everybody for their support. Thank you for sharing the episodes, for your feedback. You can email us at connect at piecingitalltogether.com. We have a Patreon account. You can support us there. We're looking forward to June's live chat. We're going to open it up to everyone, whether you are a financial supporter or not. We want to get more people at the table and broaden the conversation. So we're looking forward to that. Stay tuned as the schedule is released for the reading group. And I'm hoping next that we will read a book by Richard Twist. Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys. We have a lot coming up, so stay tuned. Without further ado, here's Randy's conversation with Andrew Morgan. He is the producer on the Sit Up podcast with Leroy Barber. Enjoy this. Share it with anybody you think would be interested. Let us know what you thought. I am excited. Our guest today is Randy Woodley, and you are going to love this interview. Our producer, Andrew Morgan, uh, will be jumping on and interviewing Randy Woodley. I am Leroy Barber. This is the Sit Up Podcast. Let's begin. Listen, and let's be clear. You only get one chance, one opportunity, one request to appear, one moment to consider what you might hold dear, a few seconds to digest what might be coming near, a quick check of which direction you may want to steer. Maybe God is pro-choice. He gave each of us a will, a mind, a voice, and whether we will make statements, speak truth, or add to the noise is up to us to take the dust we've been given. To treat our seconds like cents and watch how we spend them. To use our words like olive branches in the mouths of birds and watch where we send them. Take the negative thoughts we were taught. Take our wounded souls and hearts and let God mend them. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Welcome into the Sit Up Podcast. I'm your producer, Andrew Morgan. And as you just heard Leroy Barber kind of explain, we're here with a dynamic speaker, a person who we just we know is going to give us something to think about. And there is a lot to think about when it comes to the topics that this man covers. So can you do me a favor, introduce yourself and also bless us by letting us know uh, whose land are we on right now? Oh, okay, well, uh, as far as I can tell, I think we're on the land of the Duwamish, which is most people know uh, because of Chief Seattle uh, okay. is the uh, sort of most well-known chief from that tribe, and Seattle, of course, is the city that we're in. So, um, But because I'm not from here, I'm not quite sure, and I wasn't here when they made the recognitions in the very beginning. Yeah, We got here late because we had to park about uh, almost a half mile away. Thank you, Seattle. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and I'm a United Ketuaban Cherokee descendant uh, from Oklahoma. Um, my wife is a uh, Eastern Shoshone from Wyoming. And uh, we've been, you know, like serving our indigenous people for a little over 30 years now in lots of different ways. I mean, every everything you could think of, just... To, 
you know, uh, food closets and baby clothes closets and baby needs closets and teenage pregnancy classes and uh, after school tutoring programs and, you know, uh, justice uh, uh, organizations and all those kinds of things. And, and all that's beautiful. What's your name? Randy Woodley. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But, you know, I've, I've been thinking about a new introduction yeah. um, that will probably be a lot better. I was My wife and I just a couple days ago were talking about, you know, I, I always get so uncomfortable when people are doing all these introductions. And so what I think I'd like to do is just like, capture and edit a bunch of my hate mail that I've received over the years. And then I'll just read all those. Like you are a a racist, you know, uh, who do you think you are? You know, and uh, that would be a great introduction. Let's get into that because I got a lot of questions, but let's get into that one first. So what is it, what is it like when you get individuals who say you are like, how do you respond to someone who's saying you're the racist? Yeah. What they usually say is you're a converse racist. I'm like, Okay, well, let me think about that first, because that's kind of like that's the, you know that's tying those terms all up in themselves. Converse racism, so that means I'm racist against white people, basically. Right. Um, and then, of course, there are some people who say, you know, racism is a system, and you can't be racist when you are not in the, uh, part of the controlling, you know, group. So, but uh, how do I react? Of course, you know, I'd love to say, oh. You know, I just let that roll off my back, you know, Um, and uh, but the truth is, you know, I think we actually all care about how people think and what they think about us. And so it hurts. But um, it also tells me that we just have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah. You you were telling me you were from the Oklahoma area. So what brought you to the Pacific Northwest and, and kind of tell me about what your experience has been since you've been here? Well, let me back up just a little bit. So I was raised near Detroit. Okay. Uh, and um, uh, went and lived in North Carolina, lived in Florida, lived in Colorado, um, lived in uh, Carson City, Nevada, uh, Kentucky, Alabama. So we've been all over the place. Oklahoma. Um, I, I, I wasn't raised in Oklahoma. Okay. So my, my, uh, people, my tribe currently exists in both Oklahoma and in North Carolina and Tennessee and those areas, Alabama. But, um, yeah, so, so we are people who have moved a lot in our lifetime, but we came to the Pacific Northwest specifically because a white supremacist paramilitary group basically chased us off our land and we lost everything. So we had a 50 acre farm in Kentucky and uh, indigenous community. We were doing an indigenous learning center. People were learning all kinds of things. It was for job skills. It was for, you know, ministry skills. It was for leadership, uh, just recovery problems with, you know, we had like red road sobriety and, and other, other kinds of things that we were dealing with as well. And then a lot of just practical skills. So um, basically a holistic model of how, how do you help a people who have sort of uh, have the worst statistics uh, among all peoples in the United States, the worst, the, the highest death rates, the highest teenage pregnancies, the lowest education attainment level, highest alcohol, highest suicide, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, how do you serve your own people in that capacity? And so we had developed a holistic model that seemed to be working well, and we're doing well. And uh, a group of white supremacists came against us with a 50 caliber machine gun and 
And we finally decided that uh, it wasn't worth somebody getting killed over. And so we had to leave. We we, uh, couldn't sell a property and we finally sold it for half of the value and, and had to get out, um, and, uh, lost everything. Been trying to recover from that for a while. And, uh, and then a job opened up at uh, George Fox uh, University at Portland Seminary for me to teach part time. And okay. then, then I moved eventually after three years, moved from part time to full time. So, so for me, it, it's, it's kind of like gut-wrenching to hear that you've gone through some of the same things that your ancestors have gone through. Exactly. And, and in the, some of the same places, which yeah. is ironic. Yeah. So what, like that's just 160 such, years later. Yeah. That's such a wake-up call for individuals who feel like racism's dead or these things are, are behind us. I think so, it's funny that, you know, in, in 2001, I published a book called, uh, or 2000, um, uh, living in color, embracing God's passion for ethnic diversity. Right, and it was uh, it was a book, really one of the first ones that really dealt with the DNA of the Creator as um, unity and diversity. And then it also got it out of just the black white binary, which is you know where a lot of the books that have been written were written yeah. at the time. And, and and I got all these radio interviews. I think I had thirty something radio interviews in the first year. I sold over five thousand copies in that first year. Yeah, uh, and then nine eleven happened. And when 9-11 happened, nobody wanted to talk about diversity anymore. Yeah. It was very, you know, Muslims were bad people and, you know, we were, we were all of a sudden we were losing something. You know, the, I think white society in particular felt like they're losing something. And so we got to get it back. And, and that started this trend, but but on those radio programs that I used to be on where they'd interview me back in the day when they did that for marketing, um, they would always ask the same question somewhere in the interview, and it it goes something like this: "Don't you feel that racism is pretty well dead now?" <laughs> and I laugh because um, the you know it, it's very easy for people in the dominant culture to to just ignore it, right? Yeah, you live in a bubble and go. It's it, but I think that day is over. I don't think we'll ever n- stop saying racism. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore because it, it's just too much is happening now. And of course we had the backlash from Obama, um, you know, by the, the, the white right. And now we're, we're seeing that white right empowered. Yeah. And, uh, and so now we're seeing, uh, this, this, uh, you know, extreme division, everyone calls it. Well, that division was always there. It yeah. was always there. We just, nobody wanted to name the elephant in the room. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, we all have our personalities that we have to live with, and my personality has almost always been naming the elephants in the room. So. Yeah, you got to do that. I'm curious to know what is it like for you to be a Jesus follower as a person who who is who is very aware of your culture, your history. Like, where does that pe- put the puzzle pieces together? Because mainstream America has taught me that they don't show Jesus in relationship with you, you know, mm-hmm. so kind of give us a background and, and educate us on, on your relationship as a, as a follower of Christ. Yeah. So, so I have, you know, my testimony is that when I was 19 years old, I was uh, addicted, uh, to, uh, crystal methadrine, um, and, um, uh, couldn't get off, couldn't, you know, tried for over a year to get off by myself. And one night I found myself talking to Jesus and and said, hey, if you will deliver me from these drugs, I will serve you the rest of my life, 
and I will never look back. And bam, and I realize this doesn't happen for everybody, right? Right. But I got up from that praying time of maybe an hour or more, and I never had the desire to do drugs again. Um, I realized that there's a power much stronger than me um, in the universe, and that that uh, at least when I call out, his name is Jesus, and that's who answered me. And then as I, I continued to read the Bible that I'd known as a kid, but I hadn't known as a teenager, um, I, I've, I realized that this Jesus in the Bible is consistent with the one who continually helps me and is there for me and listens to me. And so... So um, I can't deny that experience, right? Right. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit like Gandhi. It's like Gandhi said, you know, I would be a Christian uh, um, if Christians acted like Jesus. And so <laughs> um, and, and so, what I, I learned along the way on my path to education and everything else is it's not just every, every Native person knows, hey, the Christians are the ones who took everything from us. They're the ones who raped us in the boarding schools and kidnapped our children. And, you know, they did all these things. Sometimes um, the missionaries were uh, uh, paternalistic and colonizing um, without – really intending to be that's just who they were and sometimes they did it intentionally um, because christianity is so embedded with empire you know ever since the days of constantine and i just don't think christianity has ever been able to disentangle itself from empire and so it comes with this force over right yeah but that's not how jesus came jesus said i came as a servant and so you know i i've come to the conclusion that um, and my wife and I about ten years ago we said we're we're no longer Christians. We might have I don't know if we ever were good Christians, but we are good followers of Jesus. We want to follow Jesus as Native people. We we understand our Native traditions very much as honoring the Creator who is Jesus according to the Bible. And um, but we never made very good Christians with all the holidays and all the things like this and. And we had that bad baggage, and we realized that, that I just don't know. If, so what I say now is that, you know, you can be a Christian and follow Jesus, but it's extremely difficult. <laughs> that's, that's the best way to put it, man. That is. So what is, what, is your, what is your feel on the state of the church? And this is even outside of just the realm of, of Christianity and, and other mainstream religions, but what's the, you know, the state of those of us who say we're following Christ, how are you viewing things right now? So where I try to work from is a worldview. Um, I understand uh, historically that we've been um, in America is the, is, it didn't just, you know, all of a sudden blossom in God's image. Right. Um, America uh, is a result of a faulty worldview, uh, a worldview that said, that Europeans uh, have more of a right than anyone else to live on this land. The, it, it justifies ethnic cleansing. It justifies West African chattel slavery. It justifies everything if you are white, especially male, uh, and have some power. Um, it, the, the philosophy is that white people deserve all the knowledge, all the power, all the wealth. And everything in the history of America, the genocide, the ethnic cleansing, the, cleansing, the slavery, all point to that fact. So it's irrefutable. And so um, because the church in America um, is the, the basically seen as a white Western church, right? Even, even if it's um, 
a black church or a, a Korean church or especially a Native American church, oftentimes they're a poor imitation of a bad model. Yeah. And uh, it's a bad model. It's not the model that Jesus ever intended. I don't think Jesus, first of all, ever decided to that, that, that we should start a religion, you know, and, uh, and Jesus certainly didn't become a Christian, but, but what Jesus, and, and if he did decide he would do a religion, I don't think it'd look anything like Christianity no. today, right? <laughs> but what he said was, follow me. Yeah. Follow me. And anybody can do that. Anybody is free to, to, to follow Jesus. And, uh, uh, and like I said, even Christians. So what's next for you? Like, what's the big fight that you're looking at and you're saying, I got to take this on. I got to say something about this. Well, two, two things that we try to do. Usually when I begin a talk, the first thing I say is my agenda here today is to convert you from a Western worldview to a more indigenous worldview. Yeah. Because we can't solve the world's racism problems or our country's racism problems. We can't solve our economic problems and we can't solve the climate problems. We can't do any of that from a Western worldview. You can't even be a Christian from a Western worldview in the way Jesus wants you to be a Christian because there are so many fallacies built into that. The dualism, the, the um, hierarchies, the, the paternalism, you know, all of those, uh, all those things that make up that Western worldview all are the opposite of what I call the harmony way or shalom or what the Bible calls shalom. Um, you can't get to shalom from a Western worldview. It's competitive. It's not cooperative, you know. And so there's so many things. And so, so one of the things we do is we concentrate now on what I think is the root, which is a Western worldview. That's the thing that, that everything goes back to that's wrong with the United States and the church. Secondly, we developed a holistic model, and we've been, uh, for the last... 11 years because of losing our place in uh, our community and place in Kentucky that we had, the 50-acre farm. and um, We've been doing that in a very truncated way. So a smaller, we have three and a half acres. Um, we have schools that come in, but usually just for the day because there's no place for everybody to sleep. And and we created this model that, that includes healing for indigenous people and non-indigenous people together. And so now we are moving on, uh, sort of backing out of academia to take on the big vision again. So we call it the Alahey vision. And we're actually in the middle of a fundraising campaign, as I already mentioned it here. Yeah. Go so, for it, so it's gofundme.com slash resurrect Alahey. And Alahey is spelled E L O H E H. Or you can go to org and then it'll point you to that. That's our website. But, um, so a couple of my former students, are trying to raise $350,000 for us so that we can buy a property in New Mexico and begin again, uh, sort of restore that whole vision that we had, we had done that was so successful before. Because in all this time, nobody has other taken up that model, and that model was one that works, and we think it will work again. Good. It's been amended a little bit, but it'll work. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it will. So that's sort of where we're at. We... People are transformed when they come to our farm and they sit around and talk around the living room or around the fire, and we just begin to share at a very personal level um, and, and become vulnerable to one another, and lives are changed, and th- that's sort of what we're into. Right? So I've got a couple more questions for you before we get out of here. Uh, one, I want to talk about the relationship between Natives and, and African Americans, black people. There is... I, from my experience in Oklahoma, I've seen 
and learned a lot of different things. And I've seen a lot of tension where never before in any other place that I saw tension between a group of, uh, of black people with the Native Americans. Growing up, we always wanted to you know, lay claim to mm-hmm. any type of it that we had in our blood. And for the first time, when I moved to Oklahoma, I saw a resistance to that. Yeah. Um, I'd even had people, you know, tell me that their, that their ancestors were owned by uh, or traded to mm-hmm. tribes. Yeah. And so where have you seen healing in that community? So, but, but so what? it's a very, um, um, complex relationship. So first of all, uh, I'm going to uh, in the in the next two minutes. I'm going to give a quick summary. Okay? All right. First of all, um, Native Americans were uh, enslaved by white folks in this country for 130 years before the first uh, uh, West African was right. Right. So, um, but but the problem with Native folks is that they knew the terrain; they could escape and get away, and you know those kinds yeah. of things. So, um, and, and uh, a lot of them, even though a lot of our people were agricultural, in some places they weren't. Um, and so Africa was a place of great agriculture, right? And so you bring people who know how to work the land, right? So there's all these reasons. Also, our our um, uh, lack of immunity to uh, the Western European diseases also would take its toll. So, But then uh, as uh, people became enslaved from West Africa, they would often escape, especially in the southwest, I mean southeast, to Cherokees and Choctaws and Creeks and Seminoles, and especially the Seminoles, um, a lot of the greatest chiefs were actually black and Indian. But and, and they would they would receive refuge, right? Right. But then, as these tribes began to sort of try and take on more of the European ways, a lot of them became slave owners, right? So okay. so they would they would own enslaved people. I mean, yeah, you can't own somebody, but you can pretend like you do, right? Right. So. Um, so then that created another tension. So you had both people seeking refuge and others who were enslaving it. And it was a big battle in all those nations. I know in the Cherokee nations, it, it was it was a big, big battle over abolition. And one particular missionary and uh, Cherokee preacher, uh, Evan Jones and Jesse Bushyhead, were two of the prominent people who were abolitionists who fought against that. And then as the tribes were moved out west, those folks came with them. Some were already, um, you know, intermarried because that's what happened uh, a lot of right. times in the tribes. And so, so there's a lot of intermarriages going on. Um, also in the Caribbean, a lot of our people were shipped to the Caribbean. Okay. And then as West African uh, folks were shipped to the Caribbean, they would intermarry uh, with the um, uh, the natives who are already down there from all different tribes. So the bottom line is... If you are African-American and and you think you have Indian ancestry, probably at least half of the people who think they do actually do. Yeah. So um, so there's this history. Now, now where that's playing out today is is every time there's tension, it's because the tribes, the the Native American tribes are trying to act like Europeans again. Right. That's their downfall. Yeah. Trying to be colonial, trying to uh, disengage people just because of their skin color. Right. And so so there's a group, for example, and I think it's true with the Choctaws and the Creeks and others. But in the Cherokee Nation, um, they call themselves the black Cherokees. Most of them have Cherokee in blood. Others are enrolled just because they came on the Trail of Tears with others. And um, in, in my opinion, they all deserve recognition as tribal members. But, but, but then that's also complicated because, you know, I, I think 
recognition by the government who uh, colonized you yeah. is not something to be that proud of. Right, so. right. And that was actually a part of the question I was going to ask you is how do you feel about that? Because I would see some of the, the health care in Oklahoma where people were fighting to get on it. But mm-hmm. I noticed that there were a lot of people who looked like Elizabeth Warren. Like there were a lot of people who you would not guess in any way, shape, form, or fashion were Native American or, you know, but everyone wanted to kind of milk that system uh, right. to in order to, to get a house cheaper or in order to get health care a little bit cheaper. And so how have you, is that one of those things where you just, you mind your own business or does that kind of get to you a little bit? Well, it gets to me, but being that um, I don't have enough Native blood to actually be a member of my tribe. So yeah. United Ketua Band is a, has a quarter membership. I only come out as 316th, so I'm a oh, descendant, okay. a legal descendant. And so I don't get a vote, but that doesn't mean I don't have an opinion. Right. Um, so, so my opinion is that all our, cause we've been working among our own native people all over the United States. You know, I'm, uh, you know, with so many different tribal groups for, you know, over three decades now. And we've seen a lot of stuff, right? And we've had a lot of elders, you know, uh, help us along the way and tell us things and share stories. And so, and, and then I, I know the history, right? So the bottom line is that we can't be quote unquote sovereign nations as long as we are dependent upon the United States. Right. We have to have our own economic empowerment and, and we need to, my opinion is we need to go from being recognized under the Department of Interior, which is all flora and fauna. We're the only human species under the Department of Interior. Um, and we need to be recognized instead by the State Department. Uh, as sovereign nations that have our own ambassadors to the United States and, uh, and, and maybe a 10 year plan to work ourselves off of all the grants and block grants and federal subsidies because you can't be dependent on your colonial master and say you're sovereign. Mm, that's good stuff, man. So I'm out of time, but I do want to ask you one, one, one last question that what is the most beautiful thing about your culture and that, that you just enjoy? It's unique to it. My wife? (laughs) (laughs) No, honestly, um, uh, the fact that uh, our spirituality is not separate from everything else. It is just who we are. And that's a lesson for Christians, I believe, is just just be your spirituality and live it fully. Uh, Those values, the, the, the... hospitality and the generosity and the the inclusiveness and all those things that are our native values to me that's the most beautiful part of of our culture all right well thank you so much for joining us on the sit-up podcast thank you andrew